So last week, we were looking at the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And what did what, what did we see? We saw, didn't we? We saw that the gates um, that are mentioned in um, in Nehemiah chapter three represent the the work of the disciples. So we start at the sheep gate and we work our way. I'm not going to go through it again, but we we work our way through the gates, and each gate represents a different part of our spiritual journey until we come to the final gate, the inspection gate. Uh, where we examine ourselves and then we repeat don't we we meet jesus again at the sheep gate and we we revisit that cycle of events that speak profoundly of our of our discipleship the first person to lay the first stone was who the, the high priest. priest the high priest and who is the last person we see in nehemiah chapter three who is the last person to build the wall He's right at the end. Malchiah. Malchiah. So we start with the high priest, Eliashib, and he's placing down that first stone and we build on the chief cornerstone. And the last person to place the stone down is a man called Malchiah. Do you know what his name means? His name means king. So we begin our journey with the high priest who lays that first stone, and we conclude our journey with the king. And the events of the Lord Jesus Christ, he began his ministry as a priest in sacrifice, and he's going to conclude his journey as our king. And so we are reminded again, as Jesus says, that I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we begin with Jesus as the priest, and we end with Jesus as the king. So... The walls and the gates of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 3 is speaking really about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also consider, didn't we, another aspect of the gates. Anyone remember what the, uh, the other aspect is? So we can apply it in two ways. The journey of the disciple as we walk in to Jerusalem together. And there's another journey or there's another vision that we can have of it. Can anyone remember? The journey of the church. Absolutely, yes. So we've got the journey of the church, that we begin the journey as Jesus um, was crucified as the lamb at the sheep gate. And we conclude at the Mifkad gate, where we have the gathering of nations congregating together in Jerusalem. And, and the journey then can be applied on a second level, which is the journey of the church, the journey of Jesus's ecclesia. Now, there is a third journey. Uh, my question is, what other application can we apply to the gates of Jerusalem? We can apply discipleship. We can apply the eyes of prophecy. But there is one more application we can apply to it. And it's it's in Revelation, everybody. Um, we're going to go into we're going to start off the session by looking into Revelation because the third um, way we can look at these um, these gates in Nehemiah 3 is the fulfillment of Jerusalem. What is the fulfillment of Jerusalem? Where do we get that in the Bible? It's a phrase we hear so often. Where is that fulfillment spoken of? And I Revelation. saw... Re Say again? Revelation, Revelation 21. 21. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, so New Jerusalem. So we're going to go to Revelation 21 and we're going to see the third way 
the third vision in which we can see these gates because those faithful brethren and sisters who were working on the walls of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 3, I believe were typing an event that's going to happen way, way into the future. So here's another question. Revelation 21, where we see new Jerusalem come down from heaven. Okay. What, what time period is that talking about? Is that talking about the kingdom or after the kingdom? New Jerusalem. Are you talking about by the kingdom, do you mean Jesus ruling on earth? And by after the kingdom, do you mean God being all and in all? Exactly that. Yeah, so exactly that. Yeah. So Revelation 21 is after the kingdom. It's when everything has been fulfilled. The world is completely converted. The whole world is run by um, those who are in faith, who believe in the second resurrection. And the world now is now the world now is ready for Yahweh to establish himself as the king. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take off his crown and he's going to place it on the on the head of Yahweh. And Yahweh now is going to be established king. And and we think we mirror, don't we, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He says, I must decrease for him to increase. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to mirror that with his father. He's going to say, I am going to the thought of Jesus Christ, right, diminishing himself for his father is extraordinary. You see, the kingdom is just a preparation. I, I think sometimes we think that the kingdom's going to be the end of everything. It's not. It's the beginning of everything. It's a triumphant beginning. The kingdom is a preparation period for when God is ready to come to this earth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to decrease and God is going to increase. And the vision we have of that is Revelation 21 and all the way through Revelation 21 and 22. It's echoing Nehemiah. It's unreal. It's unreal. OK, now we've got all these gates. So I'm going to share my screen in a minute and I'm going to put down all the gates of Jerusalem that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. And you're going to find in Revelation 21 and 22 where Christ echoes those gates. So so he, here's another question here, just to get our, our minds ready for this. We're going to prepare our minds for when Yahweh is all in all. Um, when New Jerusalem comes down and when New Jerusalem is established, is that going to be a literal temple or a spiritual temple? May I suggest that it's going to be a spiritual temple, that there'll be no need for a physical temple anymore because everybody's converted. The whole world is is converted. And, and, the, and when God is all in all and there's a second resurrection, the whole world will be run by immortal beings. And we don't know what's going to happen after that. We have no idea what what future the saints are going to have when Yahweh ordains himself as king on this earth. And so the temple that's spoken of in Revelation 21, where John sees New Jerusalem come down, he sees it as a spiritual temple. OK, just out of interest, if you're in Revelation 21, what are the foundations of the new temple made from? Look at verse 11 and 19. Precious stone. A precious stone. And what are the foundations made of in Nehemiah's Jerusalem? Stone. 
stones. Okay. And, and we've already figured out, haven't we, that stones are a representation of people. And we, we discussed, didn't we, that the stones that Jesus speaks of, that he is this master craftsman. He's most probably the son of a stonemason. He comes upon the scene and he speaks about stones because stones represent people. And when you look at the when you look at a stone, they're chiseled, they're carved, that they've been weathered by the storms. And so have we as disciples. We've been weathered, we've been eroded, we've been chiseled to fit into this physical temple. But when New Jerusalem comes, we'll be sparkling. We will be precious stones. We won't be weathered. We won't be eroded by by uh, the seasons. We won't be hacked and chiseled down. We will be smooth and sparkling. And you can see straight away that the language of Revelation 21 shows the fulfillment of the walls of Jerusalem that we read in Nehemiah 3. It's showing the whole process of what Jerusalem's all about. And so what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is just a shadow of what we're going to see in, a th in over a thousand years time. So when we're all there together and we're chatting with one another, let's remember this session we've had together and go, oh, remember that we were talking about the precious stones because we're going to see it. We're going to see that happen um, when Yahweh's made all in all. So if you've got your Bibles handy, I'm going to put the um, I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to list all the, the, the gates down your job. And I'm going to give you three or four minutes for this. Uh, your job is to try and pick out um the gates in Revelation 21 and 22. Where do where are the gates alluded to? Can you see that? Yes. Good. Because I yeah, can't yeah. see yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three or four yeah. minutes. Look at Revelation yeah. 21, yeah. 22. See if you can find see if you can find where the echoes are. I'll give you uh, I'll give you a few minutes of that. You've got the new gate in Ephraim. So no, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Because the, the first earth had passed away. First gate was the sheep gate. There must be a really obvious sheep gate one. I don't understand how there are three gates in verse one. So. Well, you've got old in you. Yeah, you've got first earth and first heaven, then new earth and new he heaven. Is the sea like the fish gate? I think that's about right. Yeah, sounds good. Um, you've got yeah, the... the sheep gate. You've got um, in chapter 14 the, um, the lamb upon Mount Zion. Well, you've got that in verse 9 of 21. Cool. Um, you've also got verse 8, that's all about the burning things, which is the dung gate. Verse 6 is the fountain gate. Um, him that's the first of the fountain of the water of life. Um, water gate could be chapter 22, verse 1, a pure river, river of water of life. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've got the east gate in verse 23 which is talk about the sun and the moon they rise in the east because that's what the east is about anyone got anything on valley 21 verse 8 for valley gate <laughs> yeah 
I mean, verse 8 works for Valleygate and for Dungate. Okay. If a lake is literally in a valley. Hmm. Where's the appointed gate? Has anyone has anyone talked about the east gate yet? Yeah, verse thirteen. Because um, well, I don't know if this, this is relevant, but uh, verse twenty-three of chapter twenty-one. So the yeah. city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, with the sun coming up from the east. Very nice. I think it, it, it's I think it's hard to talk about the the horse one because uh, we likened the horse to war. And by this time, uh, wars are over. Is there any way it's, where it says wars are over in the chapter? That might be it. Maybe. Well, you've got set verse 7 for those who are victorious. Ooh. Oh. yeah. Also with the horse gate, um, verse 24, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. And that's, like, horses are about manly power we know that from the nehemiah passage about the king i think i've got a better one for the fish gate um (laughs) if you you look at verse 21 you've got um the street of the city was pure gold as as it were transparent uh, glass and then somewhere else in revelation you've got the um the sea of glass 1615 yeah. Okay. You <laughs> um, so you've had a little look, and I've overheard a lot of the stuff, and it's you, you, it's amazing, isn't it, um, to see this fulfilment in Revelation twenty one. Now, be, before I uh, we we go through the gates together, these are what we call illusions. So, what's the difference between an illusion and an echo? Is an echo more of like an exact thing, whereas an illusion is like a bit of speculation to get to it. Yeah, yeah. So an echo is direct words, but that you know it's a bit like an echo, isn't it? (laughs) That's why we call them echoes. So the the, the passage is echoing previous words um, directly. Now an illusion. I heard someone use inference, which is probably a good way of, of of. explaining what um, an illusion is, where you where you kind of have to infer through what's being said. So Revelation 21 is filled with illusions. And what you're going to find is as you go through it and you read more and more into Revelation 21, more illusions will come out. Now, I've just found a few. Let's let's go through them in order then. Sheep gate. What did you get for sheep gate? Well, the lamb mentioned quite a few times. Yeah, exactly. So about five times in Revelation 21 and 22, we've got the lamb that's spoken of. Now, obviously, that's alluding to the sheep gate, isn't it? So we start with the lamb of God, which is Christ, um, and he's in the throne and he's about then to pass it over to to the father. So there's the sheep. And what we're going to find as we walk our way through the gates in Revelation 21, God is going to close those gates or christ is going to close the gates as he goes through each one he's closing them down because there's no need for them anymore uh, there's no need for for these gates because god is going to be all in all so the sheep gate of course is the lamb 
the next gate is the uh, the fish gate. What did you get for the fish gate? No more sea, but there's one, yeah. No more sea, right? So a new heaven, a new earth, and there was no more sea. So the fish gate as well has been closed down. There's no need for fishermen anymore because the temple has been fully established. Um, there's no need to be fishers of men because God is all in all. So the fish gate now has been closed down. Somebody mentioned about being clear as crystal, and that word is used about um, the ocean being as crystal. That was phenomenal. Whoever said that? Who said that? Dan did. Brilliant. Really good one because the the oceans represent people and Jesus speaks about before him there's going to be the waves will be roaring and the seas will be crashing. Well, when when the kingdom's finished, the nations will be quelled. You know, there'll be no more nations. The whole world will be one united in, in Christ. So that's a really good one. Um, once we go through the fish gate, we then come to the old gate. Where's that? Verse one. Go on. Yeah. Uh, phrase. Well, you've it's in the first heaven and the first earth in contrast to the new heaven and new earth. But what's the phrase? I'm reading the former things are passed away. The old gate, the old way, the former things, the old ways are passed away. And so there we've got the old gate, which then leads us to the new gate, Jojo, which you said, a new heaven and a new earth. So we looked last week when we the gate of Ephraim, that represents the new gate, the gate of the covenant, the fruit, the fruit gate. And so we walk then into the new gate and now we've got a new heaven and a new earth. So there we have the gate of Ephraim, the fruit gate. I saw in um, Revelation 22, verse 2, about it saying, um, uh, in the middle of its street, um, on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding oh. fruit every month. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's, that's probably way better than mine. Well, I say probably is better than mine. Uh, tree of life, of course, um, the Ephraim gate where they come and take the fruit that's a, imagine this, this is why getting another load of brains on the on the subject is far more beneficial for us all uh, brilliant one thank you um then we come to what gates next i've got here the next gate will be the um the valley gate yeah so where do we have the valley gate i think there's a few of them in this chapter um you've got 21 verse 8 and 22 verse 14 and 15 yeah so you got the so we, we looked last week that the gate of the valley of hinnom represents this this fire that's being burned and we think thought didn't we about the trial of fire as a disciple um and in the kingdom when that's fulfilled the final judgment be passed upon man where they'll be thrown into a lake of fire um but i've got in verse four um a nice easy one Death shall be no more. And the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And here the valley gate has been closed because death shall be no more, which then we walk into the dung gate, um, the unclean gate, the potter's gate. And where do we find the unclean gate? Well, look at um, verse 27. It says that nothing unclean will walk into the, the temple, the spiritual temple. 
And so there we've got the dung gate then. And then we come to the fountain gate. Look at verse six. There's going to be a fountain of life that's going to be opened up. And then we come to the water gate. Look at verse 20. Look at chapter 22 and verse one. Then there's going to be a river of life. So that's the water gate. OK, then we come to the horse gate. And look at verse seven. He that conquereth. And the word used conquereth is, is used as, as Jesus coming on a horse, a white horse in Revelation six. So these are all the people now that have overcome temptation, overcome sin. They're all victorious. And so the horse gate now is going to be closed down. Uh, and then we come to the um, the east gate. So where's the east gate? Verse um, 23. Verse 13. And 24. Yeah, verse 13. Verse. Read the words out. And verse 23. The city had no need for the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, the Lamb its light. Fantastic, because the word east means the rising of the sun. Again, for those of you who are new to this call, that's something we looked at this last week. So that was probably a struggling one. So then that leads us to the gate of Mifkad. And the, uh, the gate of Mifkad means the gate of gatherings. And if you look at um, verse four, we've got all nations walking in. Revelation seven and verse nine tells us that there's going to be the number of the elect um, all together, okay? And so the gate there represents this, this time where all nations shall walk then into this spiritual temple. And so what we've seen then, all the gates that we've seen in Nehemiah chapter 3 have go, are alluded to when, when Yahweh is establishes the true king over all the world. And Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, has reached its final fulfillment. So when we look at the Old Testament, we're looking at Jerusalem and we particularly, of course, in Nehemiah, because that's what it's all about. It's just pointing to that time, which is a long, long way away. But it's pointing to that time where Jerusalem finishes its purpose. The whole the whole purpose of Jerusalem is for this moment in Revelation 21 where a new spiritual temple is going to replace the physical temple. And uh, Jerusalem has become all in all, and Yahweh is then ready to be king. But isn't that amazing, right? Isn't that amazing to see that we see this kind of wonderful illusion being lifted out of Revelation 21, where we've got this new heaven and new earth. Um, but we can go further into Nehemiah, uh, and I'll... I'll I'll just tease out a few for you because we are going to get on to the we're not going to go through all the people today, but we'll we'll certainly um, make a start on them. If you look at Revelation 21 and verse 25, we've got these new gates that are going to be replaced. And it tells us that the new gates are going to be always open. So the old ways are going to be closed down and these new gates are going to be established. Twelve gates, just like we see in Nehemiah, 12 new gates. But you'll notice there in verse 25, every single gate is open. Just every single gate is open. If you were to look at Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 3, every single night on the walls of Jerusalem as they were building, Nehemiah told them to close the gates. And he told them to close the gates at night. 
And here in Revelation 21, the gates are going to be open because there's going to be no more night. The whole glory of the, the glory of God is going to fill the world. There'll be no more night. And so we see a contrast with Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, right, the moment it starts going dusk, close those gates. Let's protect ourselves from the enemy in the kingdom. There'll be no more nighttime. And so the gates always remain open. And um, look at verse 14. Jesus says that these are the ones. So those who who make up this spiritual te temple, these are the ones who overcome tribulation. And we're going to find out that on the walls of Nehemiah, those men who built were under immense tribulation. And in the kingdom or past the kingdom age, those who overcome those trials are those mentioned here in verse 14. A group of people who've washed their robes. Somebody read out um, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 23. I'll do it. Thank you. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took up our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. <laughs> so... <laughs> In Nehemiah 4, we've got the men and women washing their clothes in tribulation. They left their garments on, but only they took their clothes off for washing. And here in Revelation, we've got a group of people who go under this incredible tribulation that when everything is concluded, it shows that they've washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. So Nehemiah 4, they're washing their garments during the day. And at the end of everything, we're going to see a group of people victorious because they've been washing their garments in the blood of the lamb um look at verse are you still in verse chap jojo stay in chapter four of nehemiah because i get you to read another verse now for this reason it says they are before the throne of god and they served him or they have served him day and night so these are the men and women who've served god and christ day and night now, Jojo, read chapter four of Nehemiah and verse nine. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. OK, so they're in Revelation. They've been serving God day and night um, and they're now victorious. And exactly the same thing happened in Nehemiah. They were serving God all the night. I'll, I'll do the last one for you. Verse 16. They will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore because there is no more sun no more thirst um no more hunger no more sun because now it's the glory of yahweh that's going to fill the world there'll be no need for the the big giant gaseous ball that we see in the sky well we don't see it today in england but you know what i'm talking about right the sun we've seen it at times haven't we no need for that okay now jojo read nehemiah 5 verse 3 there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might might buy grain because of the famine. Is that right? OK. Yeah. <laughs> so in Nehemiah chapter five, verse three, there was a huge famine that hit the land of Jerusalem, sweltering heat, terrible conditions. And those men were laboring hard under the physicality of the sun. And here in Revelation, there'll be no more hunger, no more thirst because there'll be no more sun. And if there's no more sun, there's no more famine. And so what we're seeing, and I've just put, pulled out a few there, there's going to be loads. Um, there's going to be loads in Revelation. 
but it's just and these are echoes now so these are echoes of nehemiah not not illusions they're proper statements taken from nehemiah um we're seeing the fulfillment of the work of jerusalem and and those people who worked on the walls and like us as well just as they did we're working hard in our ecclesia we're under immense tribulation um we're working towards this final fulfillment where those trials and those um those horrors that we face day after day in our spiritual life will finally come to a conclusion because the work of god has fully been established and only until that moment arrives can god place himself upon this earth and be king so can you see then how nehemiah then doesn't just work in the life of jesus in his in his gospel message because we saw that last week didn't we when jesus starts picking out and some some of the gates in his discipleship and in his parables and how he healed people um but now in revelation where things are all in all we see the conclusion of the whole purpose of jerusalem so the journey of, of the, the gates of jerusalem Number one, the pattern of discipleship. Number two, the journey of the church. And number three, the journey of Jerusalem or the fulfillment of Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, amazing to see how these yeah. things. Uh, <laughs> thanks to see how these things cascade themselves through the Bible. Right. Shall we shall we look at the people? Yeah, let's yeah? do it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, well, we're not we're not going to uh, I'm not going to go through them all, but uh as you'd expect now, it's just incredible to see how these people are used. And look, we're only still in Nehemiah 3, so we'll, we'll go to Nehemiah 3. Um we remember, didn't we? I didn't I can't remember this was the first session or the second session where we said that there were 42 groups of workers. Um, all building on the name of Jesus. And when we come to the genealogy of Jesus, we've got 42 sons, 42 family builders. So this is kind of where we're we're being led to. Um, so if we come to, let, let, well, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, but we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 3 still, but look at Nehemiah 4. We've got two, well, we've got three, three stooges. Uh, we've got a guy called Sanballat, who's a bit of a menace. We've got Tobiah, who's a bit of a coward. And we've got another man called Geshem, who's a bit of a fool. So we've got three of these men who are going to try and collapse the walls of Jerusalem. It's their objective to dishearten the people, to weaken the walls and to discourage the people. And we've got Sam Ballot, who I think is the leader of the three in verse two and three. But this is what they say. So if you look at verse two. Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And so what Sam Ballot's doing here, he's mocking them. He's discouraging them. And he's saying, look, you know, it's rubble. How on earth are you going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem when you've just got a lump of rubble on the floor? It's pathetic, he says to them. But sadly and ironically, he uses this word revive. And that word is used for resurrection. So he's saying to them, are you going to resurrect the stones? Which man in the Bible 
resurrected the stones of Jerusalem. Jesus. Jewish man. Right, we got there. Yeah, Jesus. Okay, so he's saying, will they resurrect? And, and 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, when Peter writes his epistle, he says that we are all lively stones. We're all breathing stones. So before Jesus, these stones were dead. Okay, they were nothing. They were purposeless. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he resurrected Jerusalem. And Peter says, look, we're all breathing stones now. So Samballat had no idea what he was saying because there was going to be a man who was going to be the true stonemason who was going to come to this very area and resurrect Jerusalem spiritually. And so Peter says we're all living stones. Now, that word heap of rubbish, can you see that? Has anyone got a different translation there in verse 2 of Nehemiah 4? I've got the phrase heaps of rubbish. Heaps of rubble. Heaps of rubble. Heaps of rubble. The phrase heaps of rubbish there, or rubble, means dust. And who was made from the dust of the ground in the image of God, in which God breathed into him the breath of life? Of course, it was Adam, wasn't it? It was Adam. And so Sam Mallet now is talking about people from the dust. And he's talking about a resurrection. And he's talking about breathing into those stones that they may be resurrected. This is the language of Jesus. Jesus breathed into man, symbolically here, obviously, the breath of life so that he became a living soul. And so what Sam Mallet's doing here. He's alluding and echoing the language of Genesis chapter one and two, where man was breathed from a heap of rubbish and became a living stone. As Peter says, we're all living stones. Um, so we'll look then at the uh, the wall. So if we flick then to Nehemiah three, we're going to look at these stones. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to give you another activity, actually. Um are the activities helpful, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. I can see you nodding. Yeah. So, so that's yeah, that's. that's yeah. Yeah. Now, now, what I'd like you to do, I'm going to share my screen in a minute. So, um, we're going to look at some of the people, and we're going to we're going to layer this into in different phases. The first thing we're going to do is we're just going to look at the names of some of the people and and see what um what lessons we can get from the names of them. So oh, here's my Nehemiah three passage all the way down now to access um your hebrew all you have to do is click on tools so i'm going to focus on um i'm going to focus on verse four to begin with and, and we'll, we'll we'll do them in batches i think so if i go on verse four i've got here all the all the different strongs numbers so i'm going to look at two people and these two people are right next to each other one person is called meshulam and I'm going to look at the person next to him, okay, which is a man called Zadok. So Meshulam was next to Zadok. I'd like you to look at those two names. Look at the meanings of those names. And what lesson, right, can we get from those two individuals? Right, so what have people got? I've got uh, Meshulam uh, to mean friend. Has anyone else got that or not? Yes, yeah, yeah. that, but it's also a similar word to Shalom. Yeah. 
and doesn't brilliant. That's a brilliant start. Brilliant start. And um, vibes off this because Meshulam's friend, and then Zadok's righteousness. Yeah. Well, it's peace and righteousness. Peace, King of Righteousness. Only you're supposed to pronounce Zadok. Or Duke. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what have we got? Uh, we've got links to peace and righteousness. Brilliant. Okay, that's that's it. Peace and righteousness. So, where in the Bible do we find the phrase peace and righteousness together? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Melchizedek, yeah. Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. And where did he come from? Salem. Which means? City of peace. City of peace. And so, those two people in verse 4 are alluding to the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, king of righteousness, king of peace. And Zadok, right, is just a name of Melchizedek, Zedek. It's the idea of being righteous. And Meshulam is the idea of a man of peace. So we've got peace and righteousness together right next to each other. It's not as if we've got one man named peace in verse six and another man named righteousness in verse 15. You know, they're right next to each other. Peace and righteousness. Right. So there's Melchizedek. And as we go through, we're not going to go through all the ones I've got down because we'll be here all day. As I said, I found about 10 or 15 of them. Um, But what you're going to as these men stand next to the wall together, there's a tapestry of of language that's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Yeah, there in verse four, we've got um, shalom, peace and righteousness, Zedek and, and shalom. Um, let's give you one more. Can I give you one more? Um, let's do. Um, let's do verse 23. Benjamin and Hashab. Benjamin should be an obvious one. But look at verse 23. Benjamin and Hashab. And then I'll go through some of them with you. Hashab. Yeah. yeah. What does it mean? Um, it means consider, right? Consider. And what does Benjamin's name mean? Son of my right hand. And who is the son of God's right hand? Christ. Christ. And so what are those two names saying to us? consider jesus consider jesus yeah consider the son of my right hand um i'll I'll go through some of them with you now so because we're going to take up too much time doing this um verse seven uh melatiah and Jaden means judged and delivered and isaiah 33 tells us that the lord is our judge and he will deliver us um verse nine Rephahiah, the son of Her. Her means white garment, and Rephariah means to heal. And we, we're told in Revelation 3, verse 5, um, those who overcome will be clothed in white garments. Um, Shalom, look at verse 15. Shalom, the son of Kolhoser, means retribution of the prophet. 
and all the way through that the prophet is all about retribution of those who are unjust and uh, let me see if we can find another one um verse 26 and verse 31 the nethanim means the temple servants and so we're given a little idea of the, the future of those who serve going back to the Mel the melchizedek pair if you look at their um their genealogies like yeah, it's yeah. quite interesting because for um Meshulam, Berechiah means um Yahweh blesses. Um and Meshezabel <laughs> means uh, um Al delivers. And then for Zadok, Barna means um out of affliction and that's exactly what happened to, to well with Melchizedek and Lot so Melchizedek blessed Abraham and then God through Abraham delivered Lot out of the affliction that he had oh, this is what I mean um we're not even looking at the individual people beside them because because we don't have time but yeah Jojo that that that's beautiful and I'm sure you'll find similar things when you go through the others. Um, but those names are there for a reason. And I think we're pretty convinced now that the reason is that they're just showing the work of Jesus. Why wouldn't they? It's G Jesus was the stone, the chief, the chief cornerstone. And we've got here Jerusalem being built up. I mean, and then we've got the fulfillment of that in Revelation. It's going to be showing those um, those little cameos of Christ. But look, I don't want to go through any more because we'll be here all day but every name of an individual who stood next to another person you can string a sentence together and you can apply that to other references in the bible you know the fact that we've got son of righteousness um, and son of peace there the idea we've got a man who names whose name means considered and another man whose name means son of my right hand it's all the way through these men speak of the lord jesus christ they're just given glimpses of the work of Jesus. Now, if we work our way down, you'll notice they all, they're all different people. So they're all from the north, the south, the east and the west. They're all from different areas of Jerusalem that have come together uh, to work on the walls. But if you carefully look down Nehemiah chapter three, you'll only see that there are three professions mentioned. Only three groups of people, we're told, have particular professions. Can anyone spot those professions? But they have like jobs, normal jobs. What are those jobs? Goldsmith. So we've got goldsmiths. Perfume makers. Perfume makers. Is that Merchants. the apothecary? Where else? There's one more. Merchants. Merchants. Yeah, so Merchants. Oh. Yeah, so our three groups. We've got goldsmiths. We've got perfumers. And then we've got merchants. Now, there's a structure to this, an amazing structure. If you look at the beginning, particularly at verse 8, you've got goldsmiths and perfumers mentioned. And then when you look at the end of the chapter in verse 31 and 32, we have the merchants and the goldsmiths mentioned. So at the beginning, goldsmiths and perfumers. And at the end, we've got goldsmiths and merchants. We're going to apply that 
to the canvas of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the beginning of his life and we're going to look at the end of his mission. How does goldsmiths and perfumers at the beginning of Nehemiah 3 fit to the beginning of the journey of Christ? Have a little chat for 30 seconds. I'll just get a get name to make me a cup of tea. Two seconds. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and obviously because um, perfumes like frankincense and myrrh are both sort of spices and perfumes yeah. where's gold at the end of his life kingship okay so at the beginning you've got you've got perfume and you've got gold and of course um at the birth of jesus Jesus was given gold and perfume, frankincense and myrrh. And so at the beginning of Nehemiah 3, we've got that. By the way, who gave who gave Jesus gold, frankincense and myrrh? The wise men. Wise men. The wise men, but what are they known as? We, we can refer to them as shepherds. So the idea that they could be princes, but we've got shepherds. And what do we have at the opening of Nehemiah 3? We've got the Sheep Gate. And at the Sheep Gate, we've got Golden Perfume. Okay. Now, I know we're not building on the Sheep Gate, but it's just a structure we're looking at. So the beginning of Jesus' life began as a shepherd. And the start of Nehemiah 3, we've got the Sheep Gate. And around that region, we've got, um, we've got perfume and gold. At the end the end of his journey right what do we have well who do we have look look at verse 31 we have malchiah and malchiah's name means king and what's he doing well if you look in verse 31 he's building the gate of mifkad and we discussed last week didn't we that the gate of mifkad is that final gate when all the nations are going to be judged and the temple is finally opened, it means the inspection gate or the appointed place. And right next to that gate, where we have a man called the king is building, if you look at verse 32, we have next to him the goldsmiths and the merchants. And so right at the end of Nehemiah 3, we have a king who's building the final gate where the temple is opened and right next to him are goldsmiths and merchants. Well, let me read to you this verse from Isaiah 16, verse 9. And Isaiah 60 is all about the time where the temple is opened and Jesus has established himself as king upon the earth. And it says in verse 9 of Isaiah 60, the merchants of Tarshish shall first bring thy sons with silver and with gold. And so at the conclusion of Nehemiah chapter three, we have a king building the gate that speaks of the opening of the temple. And with him are merchants and goldsmiths. And Isaiah 60 brings this to life and says that when Jesus establishes himself as king, the temple will be opened. And with that, merchants shall bring gold and lay it at the feet of the Lord. 
it's just sublime, isn't it? It's absolutely sublime because the beginning of Nehemiah 3, at the very start, we start with the birth of Christ at the Sheep Gate, where he's the Lamb of God. And in the Gospels, it opens up, doesn't it, with the shepherds who come to Jesus and they bring to him perfume and gold. And at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter three, we see those who were perfumers and goldsmiths. We begin with the high priest laying down that chief cornerstone and the Lord Jesus Christ came in his first advent as the high priest who was to lay down that chief cornerstone. At the beginning, we see the sheep gate being built. And of course, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ in his first advent was the Lamb of God. And then when we come to the conclusion of Nehemiah chapter three, we end with a man named Malchiah, whose name means king. And when Jesus returns, he's going to return as a king. And we see in Nehemiah three, it's Malchiah who's building the Mifkad gate. And the Mifkad gate it speaks of that time when the temple is opened and all nations are going to be judged. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the temple is going to be opened and all nations are going to be judged. And right next to the man whose name means King Malchiah, we have the merchants and the goldsmiths. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns as king and he opens up the temple, Isaiah 60 tells us, that the merchants of the nations shall come and lay gold at his feet. It's a wonderful canvas of the structure of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's use the spiritual application to this. Um, when we think of goldsmiths and we think of perfumers and we think of merchants, so the idea of a merchant means to, to work. So if you, we look at the Greek idea of it, and if we look at the Hebrew idea of a merchant, it means those who physically work. Um, how can merchants, perfumers and goldsmiths speak of our discipleship? Well, well let's think about the spiritual because the Bible talks about it. Right. What does gold represent in the Bible? Righteousness. Faith. Faith is the one i've got 1 peter 1 verse 7 which talks about being purged as gold tried faith so gold represents faith incense or perfume represents prayer prayer and merchants comes from the idea to work and so those three professions that we see in that particular chapter of Nehemiah speaks of a group of people, 42 builders, building on the high priest, doing so with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, as we discussed last week. But they do so in prayer, in faith and in works. And they do that based upon the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And the names of the characters or the names of the people on the wall also speak of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we only went through a few of them together. But can we see just the work of Jesus filling um, this chapter? So, you know, if you think on top of that layer, we've got the, the gates that speak of these amazing things that we've already looked at. 
And as we go deeper into the people, we've got the names of Christ or the roles of Christ. But also we've got there a message of discipleship that we build together in prayer, in faith, and we do so in the work of Christ. So, you know, we, we think about James chapter two, faith and works, and all the way through James, it talks about prayer as well. So James is a really good way of unlocking some of the, um, I guess, some of the lessons from <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter three. What do we think of that? That's pretty cool. Pretty wow. cool. Pretty cool. It's pretty extremely cool. amazingly cool. Is that that? It's amazing. Absolutely amazingly cool. It's nice to know that um, that we're not summarising over the entire book. We've actually focused on really chapter three so far, and that's been quite nice uh, because we know there's so much more in this book. Absolutely. But if we apply that to every book in the Bible, or every chapter in the Bible, th this is the point to prove that this this book that we're, we're investing so much time in, that we dedicate so many hours to, where we go to the meeting on Sundays and Bible classes, we spend all this time doing this stuff. If we go through something like this at depth, we're just showing that that work is not in vain. That this book has to be inspired. Um, and for me, my entire faith is based upon the intellectual stability of God's word. And because it's so intellectually stimulating, that drives fruits from me. You know, I, I hope to think I share love and compassion as best as I can because I know the word of God is true. If we go through things and some people do and it's entirely, you know, people are different and it goes down to the point that we all do different roles. And some some people are really happy just going through the surface of the text and getting lessons, which I think is really helpful. But I think when we're looking at something like this together as a group, going things into more depth just just unveils the wonders of God's word. It is extraordinary. To see in this bizarre chapter that you would just glance over and let's face it we would wouldn't we we would glance over this chapter because um, we're not even talking about nehemiah right we haven't even talked about nehemiah yet and yet from this we've got we, we've done six hours we've gone from revelation we've gone from from the work of the the acts in the church we've gone from discipleship we've looked at the characters we've looked at the names We've gleaned lessons from the builders, the types of Christ. You know, there's just so much we've gone through. Um, for me, my faith is based upon that. It is supported by the genius, the, the, the genius of the creator. And we're just finding this stuff out. You know, we're not reinvent, we're not inventing it up. We're just finding it together. Um, and I think that's the most powerful tool you can have as a disciple. The best analogy I ever heard was when I was going under instruction. Sadly, the brother's passed away now. But he, he said the Bible is like Mozart, but better, obviously. And um, if you go through the Bible with one lens, which is just looking at the surface of it, which is fine. You're listening to the tune of Mozart, but you're listening to it through the harmonica. If you go through the depths of the Bible, you're listening to an orchestra. 
And for me, I want to listen to an orchestra. I know the tune of the Bible on a harmonica, but I want to I want to hear the trumpets. I want to hear the strings. I want to hear the percussion. I want to hear uh, the woodwind. I want to hear the full orchestra of God's word. Um, and then you get the whole sense of the power of it. So, yeah, I, listening to the tune is incredibly helpful. And once we familiarize ourselves with God's tune, we want to take then that to the next level. We want to hear different elements of the tune, don't we, to get the full sound of it. And I, I always that, that analogy has always struck with me because um, the, na- the natural thing is that once we recognize a tune, we want to hear the different layers of it, don't we? And um, and um, hopefully we're, we're listening to the orchestra of Nehemiah 3. <laughs> 